Hey, um, I just want us to prepare our hearts for um, listening to the Word of God. I think that um, we're in a season um, which is just chaos, yeah. And I've noticed um, as I've been getting around, chatting to lots of people, that there's just the tension and frustrations are really, really high. Um, it's easy to get upset with one another. It's easy to um, feel angry at what's going on. And so I just would love us to... Maybe if you could all stand and we're just going to pray together. What I'd love you to do just as a first thing is just come to God. You know, God, he eases our burdens. He eases our burdens. So I just want you to bring your heart before God and just say, God, show me if there's something that I just need to bring before you now. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe you need to say sorry to God. Maybe there's something there in your heart. It's a heavy season. Why don't you unload your burden just now? Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would just come and minister to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you know, you, you're the one that knows us better than we know ourselves. And it is our desire to stand before you, Lord, to have a clean heart, renewing us a right spirit, Lord. Show us where there is anything in us that's going to prevent us from knowing you better this morning, tonight, Lord God, from connecting with you. And so, Lord, we just bring those things before you, Lord God. We bring the frustrations of the week, of the month, Lord God. We bring our tensions that we might have at work or at church or with leaders or with the government. Lord, we bring them and we give them to you, God. You know, you know, God. We thank you that you love us and that you have compassion. We thank you that though we don't know the future, you do, God. We thank you, Father, that we can trust you, Lord. We, we bring ourselves towards you now in trust. And we declare, God, that we, we trust you. We trust you with all of these things, Lord God. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lift the burden right now in Jesus' name. I pray you would minister peace to your people in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you, God, that you don't put on us a heavy burden but a light spirit. And in Jesus' name, I ask that your people here would walk in that light spirit from now on. In Jesus' name, Lord God, that you would deliver us from the heaviness, Father. We thank you, Father, that in you, in you, there is peace that surpasses all understanding. We thank you for God. Let's thank him. Let's thank him. Let's give him praise. Let's give him honour. You are good. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. Awesome. Grab your seats. I hope you feel better. I do. (laughs) And I'm very sorry if it was me that upset you this week. (laughs) Probably was. Um, So the series that we're looking at is hunger. And, you know, I have really been reflecting. Ooh, There's notes up there on the TV. You are amazing, Wendy and James and Jake. Look at that. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, We're in a series of hunger, you know, and I've been really um, challenged this week, actually, and reflecting this week on what what it is to be hungry. Now, what are we talking about? You know, we've been in, in a time where we've had this prophetic word delivered to us around this idea that God wants to bring new wine into our church, into our hearts, that, we, that he would ultimately be using to minister to others around us and that with new wine comes a new wine skin and that we've got to be open to new things, new ways, um, you know, of, of carrying that new wine. And so part of that has guided the fast that we're doing at the moment because we're wanting to position ourselves in humility before God and say, God, this is my yes. This is my humbling of myself. This is my yes. This is my openness, my willingness, my surrender to to be changed, to be moulded, to become what it is, that skin 
that can carry the beautiful new wine or the new move of the Holy Spirit that you're wanting to bring to this church and ultimately flow out of this church to the people that he's wanting to reach with his love and his gospel. And so I've been really thinking about this. What does it mean to hunger? And what are we hungering for? To hunger is, is to desire, to have a strong craving for. Or to desire is to strongly wish for something. It's like this powerful sort of imagery to need something. Not just because it's desirable, but because it's like essential. You know, and we find this imagery in Scripture... In the Psalms we see, oh God, you are my God, I earnestly search for you, my soul thirsts for you, my whole being longs for you, as though I'm in a parched and weary land where there is no water. We see, I stretch out my hands to you, my soul longs for you as a parched land, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. This is the kind of imagery we see in scripture about what it is to hunger after God. In Matthew 6, we see that blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So we see that this is, this is a blessing. This is a, a good thing. So what is it for us then to cultivate this? You know, it's quite easy in the same way we hear this powerful imagery to know that it's not always true in your own life, right? I think it's easy to slip into a slightly different lane where we're yearning more for the things that God can give us, right? But that kind of catches up with us when we feel disappointed or our expectations aren't met. And that's kind of often how we realise that maybe our yearning and our craving and our desire wasn't quite in the right lane. You know, Leviticus... Who's read it? Come on, be honest. Kelsey's read it. Yes. <laughs> the real Christians amongst us. <laughs> Leviticus, really, it, it outlines a lot of the practices and rituals of the Old Testament, the ancient people. And they used to um, make themselves right with God by doing all sorts of offerings and sacrifices. And it's quite extensive the way they do it. But there's what, there was one sacrifice that I just wanted to tell you about because it's really beautiful. It's called the burnt offering. And it's different to the other sacrifices. The other ones, they um, bring like a piece of animal or whatever and they burn up just part of it and then the rest of it is used for food or um, feasting or some other thing. But the burnt offering, the entire animal is burnt on the altar because it's to indicate this desire to give themselves to God completely. It's a symbol, it's a symbol of a complete like God... I give myself to you completely, accept me, take me, take all of me. It's this um, surrender, like there's nothing left. You know, there's no leftovers to eat after the offering. It's like everything is surrendered, everything is given. And listen to the, the um, way it's described in Leviticus 6. And this is about the burnt offering. It says, the fire on the altar, in just one moment, the fire is provided by God, by the way. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and it shall burn on the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It will not go out. 
And I feel like this is so beautiful because it, it symbolises, the fire symbolises the presence of God with them in response to this hunger, this desire, like take everything, God, I offer myself to you. And then there's this, this fire that God provides and then it's like this fire is to be kept burning. And while God provided the fire, it's the priests that he commanded to actually bring the wood that would keep it burning and I think there's this powerful imagery here when I think about hunger and I think about desire for God. It's like there's this flame that we've been given, a deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we've been given. And that's something that we can never engineer ourselves. It's something that's God-given. And most of us that are here will be here because we've been given that in our lives. But then there's a response. There's, a, there's an action on our part that would stoke that fire, that would keep it going, that would ensure that flame will never, ever go out, that it will burn continuously, that our desire for God would burn continuously. And it would be a desire that is all about God, not what he can give us. It's not spiritual practices to get the world to bring things to us. It's about God. It's in line with Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven that says you can sum up all the rules and laws of the, the Old Testament in love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the devotion that I believe this hunger that we're talking about means. It's incredible. It's beautiful. It's apparent, though, that this hunger wanes in our life, yeah? Consider this parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25, verse 1. It says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all of those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And this is, you know, symbolic of the church, and the return of Christ. But what's really interesting here when you look at it, that we've all been given, you know, all the virgins, they had a lamp, you know, they had a flame. And I don't know where it came from, but they had it. Like many of us have here today, a flame within ourselves, a deposit of the Holy Spirit. But not all of them kept that flame going it's like somehow, and, you know, we don't get a lot of detail, and it's a, it's a parable. It's pre- presenting an idea to us. So we don't want to get too bogged in down in the details. But, but, but not all of them made it because they said their bridegroom was delayed. And so I guess things didn't go to expectation. I don't know what else maybe happened in that gap time. But it didn't go to plan. And so the, lamp, the light that they had, the flame, just wasn't enough to go the length that they needed it. And so some had prepared they had oil, they were able to tend it, they had something to bring to keep that going, and some were not. And we see this actually picture time and time again in the Bible, in the lives of characters that we read. Like, take the two Saul's. There's the Old Testament Saul, King Saul. Do you know, it's hard to believe this, but he actually had a powerful encounter with God um, around the time he was anointed as king. 
But he didn't seem to do anything in response to that. And he was found at the end of his life so far from God that he actually consulted a medium. He went into witchcraft. It's like so unfitting and unbelievable. How can someone that encountered the living God end up in a place where they were consulting witchcraft-type things? Then you've got Saul of the New Testament. He had an encounter with God as well. And most of you will know him as Paul. He went on and made a response to that encounter. And he was found at the end of his life, having written two-thirds of the New Testament and spread the gospel of Christ through to the non-Jewish people. What a difference. Both had encounters. But what happened in the meantime? They found one at the end of their life, having rejected God, and the other at the end of their life, having made huge kingdom impact. So I've been reflecting this week on what it, what, it look, what it takes. What does it look like for us to fan that flame, to put logs on the fire, to tend with oil that flame that we've been given so that we're not like the five that didn't prepare, that didn't plan ahead, that weren't organised and weren't able to see their flame go through the distance, to go the distance, but that we were like the wise ones that were ready, still alight, still on fire for Jesus when he returned. So I've been thinking about a few things that actually snuff out that flame, some really big themed things. And I actually did take a lot of this content from uh, a guy called Pastor Vlad. And if you don't know of him, I sincerely suggest you look up his website. He, he, he runs um, something called Hungry Gen. So I was like, I wonder what he's got to say about hunger. He had some good stuff to say about hunger. But he, you know, we, when I was reading through some of his stuff, it really became apparent to me that these three temptations, they're, they're just significantly, they're just significant in our world. And these things snuff out our flame. And so I'm going to give you, I'm going to let you know what they are and then I'm going to give you three disciplines that can help you to actually um, burn that fire bright and to protect it from being snuffed out by these temptations and these sins. So the first one is Pride. Shock, surprise, didn't see that one coming. (laughs) Isn't pride the most annoying thing, like, ever? And it just keeps coming back. Like, you're like, yes, I had a humble day. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, I'm proud again. And pride, like, it hurts when it gets, like, you know, knocked about. Like, it hurts. It's a source of great pain as well. Pride. It's to be, you know, overly focused and consumed with ourselves, our own opinion, our own sufficiencies, our own achievements, you know, to be, you know, really, yeah, just focused on those things. In a biblical sense, it it talks about the idea, especially of self-sufficiency, to not recognise our need for God in every sphere of our life. So that's pride. The next one is lusts of the flesh. So we're talking about, you know, the flesh. It's like... If you have a demon, you can drive it out, get rid of it. You can never get rid of your flesh. Such a pain. It's like a birthday present, born into this world, into a body. We have flesh. And the desires of the flesh aren't all necessarily bad, so much as our tendency to want to satisfy them with things that fall outside of the will of God. So we're talking, you know, our desires like just hunger and thirst, our desire for comfort, for joy, for excitement, for experiences, for knowledge, all kinds of things. 
But these desires seem to drive us further and further outside of what God has given us to satisfy our, our, ourselves with. And as you know, it seems that the flesh and the spirit don't grow equally together. It seems to be that when the flesh is growing and indulged, it's bigger and the spirit is literally starving and vice versa. When the, when the, the, the desires of our flesh are starving and under control, our spirit is healthier. So they can't be both together, unfortunately. So that's the second one. And the third temptation is greed. And we can also, oh my goodness, I'm not greedy, so I'm going to rename it. I'm going to call it materialism. Ooh. It's a very domesticated temptation. It's woven into um, Western culture. It's barely recognisable, quite frankly. But I wanted to put it to you like this, because it's not such a bad thing to have things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what our pursuit is. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the Australian dream, I'm just going to call it, like, you know, find that good partner, maybe have kids, maybe get a house, and then maybe fill that house with really nice things, and then maybe have those holidays, and then also you need a whole other setup for your camping. Yeah? Then you need your overseas holidays and then you need all kinds of experiences and then you want to increase your wealth with investments, of course, and then you want to retire early. And guess how long it takes to achieve that dream? A lifetime, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I often think of it like this. When you're driving in a car, you're in the driver's seat and you're driving and you're like, yep. I know where I'm going, I've worked out the destination, I'm working out how fast we're going to get there, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in charge, I'm in the driver's seat and I'm going towards that house and that car and this and that and whatever it is. But when you surrender your life to Jesus, it's like you hop out of the driver's seat and you go around and sit in the passenger seat and now God is actually, or Jesus is in the driver's seat and he's deciding the destination and the direction and the speed, the timing of it all. And you're there along for the ride. Now on the way... I feel quite confident that added to your life will probably be a great partner and some, a house to live in and some holidays and some good experiences, right? But the difference is you're not actually in charge, really. It's added to you. So you're not in control of what or when or how much because you're surrendered to the direction that Jesus is heading in. That's your pursuit. So that's a way that I think about how to differentiate the difference between the pursuit of materialism, because it's not wrong to have things. God blesses us with many things that, that are for our enjoyment. And so those are our three things, pride, lust of the flesh, and materialism. All right, who's free from all of them? I was like going through this and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, God. <laughs> I want to give you three disciplines that is going to be wood on your fire, oil for your lamps. The first one, and they're just matched up with each other. The first one is the discipline of prayer. This is to combat pride. Now, I'm not talking about waking up in the morning going, dear God, help me with my day. Um, help people to be nice to me. Help me to get to work on time. Help the coffee to be fast. In Jesus' name, amen. Go. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> You can look at all of this stuff in Matthew 6. These disciplines are all there if you want to read more about them. I'm talking about this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. I'm just going to pause there. We're not even halfway through. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I mean, this is the kind of prayer. I mean, if you're going to pray God's will, you've got to know God's will. You've got to read it in the Bible. You've got to know it. You've got to obey it. You've got to think it. You've got to pray it. You've got to read it. Know it. Obey it. Think it. Pray it. That's what it is to truly exercise the discipline of prayer in your life. Your will, your kingdom. You see, the Christian life is like not actually about self-discovery. Have you ever noticed that? Think about it. It's about self-denial. Self-discovery is for the new age. It's not Christianity. Christianity is self-denial. The amazing thing about it, though, is you do discover who you are in Christ. So it is about discovery too. But it's not about self-discovery of your unredeemed fleshly self. It's about laying that down, denying that, putting that just low and surrender to God. And then as you do that, the Bible says, as you lay down your life, you find your life. And so you find who you are in Christ. Who does he say you are? It's a place of humility, though. You know, there's no room for things like, oh, but I'm just, um, I'm just, I'm a sarcastic person or I'm a visual person, so I need to have this and that in my life or I'm, you know, it doesn't really leave room for that. It's, it's you surrender those things and you allow God to tell you who you are and in that you discover your redeemed self and that is where the Spirit of God uses you powerfully to bring his life and his light to others. Prayer, the discipline of prayer. Know it, read it, obey it, think it, pray it. Know it, read it, obey it, think it, pray it. Let us be disciplined as Christians. Let us be disciplined. Let's discipline our mouths. What have you said this week? Was it in line with the will of God, all of it? Was there anything out of line with the will of God? That's okay. Start praying. Start obeying. Let's be steadfast and disciplined in our gratefulness, in our worship, in our thankfulness to God. Let's be steadfast and disciplined in our submission to God, to authority, to one another. Let's not consider ourselves and our opinion or our insight or our knowledge superior to everyone else's. Let's practice humility before one another. Prayer, it combats pride. Because this kind of pride in our life is not just about doing our own thing. It creates often like anger and frustration and, you know, offence. This really opens the door to all those sorts of things. So let's be disciplined prayers. Let's be disciplined in love and forgiveness. Let's be disciplined. Let's exercise self-control over our pride. Let's read God's will, think God's will, pray God's will. Obey God's will and around and around and around again. The discipline of prayer. You know, um, I've heard it said that prayerlessness because we're too busy is, is just pride. And I'm like, ooh, ooh. And I thought about it, I'm like, nah. And I'm like, nah, yes. Yep. 
you know, because the moment something bad happens in your life, you're like, you got time to pray because <laughs> you need a breakthrough. Well, hello, everyone. We need a breakthrough every single day when we wake up. So good. So our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. We rely on you. We're not going to pursue it for ourselves. We rely on you. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those that have sinned against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. This is the kind of prayer that will kill pride in your life and get that fire burning hot for Jesus. Then there's the discipline of fasting, which we're all well acquainted with at the moment. And, you know, this is really to, to brain in the desires of the flesh. And I think that, you know, you can call it fasting, you can call it self-discipline, but it's having these intentional periods of time where you really um, deny the flesh, whether it's food, whether it's um, comfort food, whether it's series and TV or, or whatever it is. But it's about intentionally denying that and actually intentionally building and reading and praying you know when you fast, but then you, you're so tired and you don't pray? It's really not the way it's supposed to work. I always say to Chafin, I fast, then pray. He's like, whatever, Jess. <laughs> when I'm full again, you know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's not get religious about it. But, you know, fasting isn't like getting too busy and not eating lunch <laughs> and then going, yep, I fasted. Like, it's not a diet. It's not like, you know, it's intentional laying aside the desires of our flesh, not allowing them to be satisfied in these things and, and, and satisfying ourselves in God. So this will help you. As we feed our flesh, it grows all the stronger. That's not what we want. But as we do feed the flesh, we literally starve our spirit. You know, you see, like, sometimes you see, oh, I've come across in work, like children. They might be really, really overweight, but they're literally malnourished because they're being fed food that isn't, feeding what they need that's not feeding health and vitality and they're full they're full and they're eating and yet they're starving that's like for us when we feed our flesh we're full and indulged and comforted and all those itches are scratched and whatnot but we're, we're starving our spirit's starving the compass to our life is starving so let's deny our flesh Let's live a life not just once a year. Let's fast regularly. Let's intentionally deny things in our own life so that we can prefer feeding the Spirit. Feed it through Bible reading, through worship, through gathering. Let's burn hot in that area. And the third discipline is one of giving and generosity. And this directly targets materialism. Matthew 6, 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then if we skip down a few verses, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't, though. Do you know, when you think about it, you can't really cultivate a hunger for God if your heart is not connected to God. Your heart's not going to be connected to God unless your treasure is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that is kind of painful, but it's also really empowering because guess what? If your heart's just not quite getting it, put your treasure there. 
Your heart's going to be following. This is what it says. And I've certainly found it to be true in my own life. So we can literally draw our heart towards God through giving, through generosity, as we engage in that discipline. Do you know, I mean, giving sometimes quite a controversial thing. You know, people get very uptight when it comes to giving to the church sometimes because, you know, we want to stay in control. We're like, are we going to give to this thing or that thing so we can be exactly in control of it? That's not really what the discipline of giving and generosity is all about. You know, it's interesting. You see in the Bible that God commanded a widow for giving just a little bit, but it was all she had. And she gave it to the temple Now, the temple was corrupt, religious, evil institution that Jesus was going to tear down, right? Giving isn't always about what to. It's about you. It's about your heart. It's about combating greed, which takes us out. The Bible says it's harder for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So therefore, it's impossible except for with God, everything is possible. So I encourage you with these three disciplines, use them as logs on your fire, as oil in your lamp. These disciplines of prayer, of fasting, of giving. I just wanted to reflect just one more moment. It's more prophetic around fire. In Acts 28, we find a a random little passage where Paul was shipwrecked on the island called Malta. It's like this random little story. And often when I read it, God speaks to me in the prophetic around it. But Acts 28, it says, The native people showed us unusual kindness. So they're shipwrecked on an island. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So they've got a fire, Paul's putting sticks on it, and because of the heat, a viper came out and bit him. And the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, and they said to one another, No doubt he's man, he's a murderer. Though he escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, Paul shook the creature off into the fire and he suffered no harm. You know, and I've reflected that as we stoke our fire for God, as we burn hot for God, I don't know if you've noticed, but life doesn't necessarily get better. It doesn't necessarily get easier. Certainly, when you first have that encounter, when you stoke that fire, There's a a warmth, oh, and it's so good, that beautiful initial warmth, that encouragement, and you're like, yes, I'm connected to God, I love God. You've got all the feels going on. So initially it warms you. But to keep it burning, and you keep going, you keep going, and as it gets hot, it's like these vipers get driven out. And it's not, the, the wood didn't create the viper. Your fasting didn't. Your prayer didn't. It was already there, lying quietly, doing its thing, affecting you, but you just didn't probably notice. But then as you start to get hot for God, the heat of that drives these things, drives them out. And I see that all around me. I see that. I see that in my life. When we fast, fasting is so turbulent, so much goes on. It's often later we really see the breakthrough of them. 
And this viper came out and it bit Paul and it attacked his hand. And do you know what Paul did later? He actually healed people on the island. So the very thing that God wanted to use to heal was what was attacked by this viper that was driven out by the heat. But what's so, you know, amazing about this, I mean, you might be going, hang on, I don't want that. Like, no to fasting, no to the spiritual disciplines. The fire can just be, you know, tame and small. You can't do that up there, the preachers, whatever. And I'll pray for me for a safe distance, but no. The amazing thing about it is when you burn hot and you have that fire in your life, there's something to shake the viper into. There's something that will kill it. You can walk in dominion. You can walk in authority. You don't have to rely on the fire of the pastor or the leader or the friend or the internet, you know, speaker or whatever. You've got it burning hot in your own life. And it drives them out and it burns them up. And you can be delivered from the impact of these things through your own fire. It's burning hot. You can walk in authority. You can shake the vipers of anxiety into the fire, the vipers of fear into the fire, of depression, of illness, of adversity, the effects of the pandemic and so on. You walk in dominion. And not only that, as you have that fire, the new wine of the Holy Spirit, you can be used by God. When we use God to get stuff from Him, He can't use us. But when our devotion to Him is pure, when our fire is burning hot, He can use us. Not only to be free from the vipers in our own lives, but to set others free.